Hello and welcome to the latest Bicom podcast. I'm Richard Pater, the director of Bicom, and you won't believe it, but we're in another election cycle here in Israel. So to start off our election coverage for 2022, I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Asaf Shapira, who is the head of the political reform program at the excellent Israel Democracy Institute, the IDI. His research largely focuses on political representation, political parties, and the role and influence of money in politics and the reforms of Israel's public service. Dr. Asaf, thank you very much indeed for joining me. Thank you very much. I should emphasize at the start that this is, uh, as I said, Thursday the 23rd of June, and that whatever we say here today may, uh, may, may change within the, uh, the, 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 days and, uh, the days ahead. But at least, at least according to now, perhaps we could start and you can frame for our listeners uh, where we're up to with the, with the legislative process to, dis to dissolve the Knesset. Okay, so currently, yesterday, 11 bills to dissolve the Knesset have been passed in a preliminary reading in the Knesset. The number doesn't matter, by, by the way. They will be probably be merged into one proposal later. Now, the Knesset House Committee, the Knesset Committee, has to discuss the proposals and to approve them. And then they return to the Knesset for first hearing, again to the Knesset House Committee, and again to the Knesset for a second and a third hearing. In the next three hearing readings in the Knesset, the support of at least 61 Knesset members is required in order uh, for the law to be approved. But this won't be a problem, uh, I guess. Uh, both the coalition and the opposition support this law. Now, the process can be very quick and can be completed in the next week. The chairman of the uh, Knesset committee, Nir Obach, is responsible for advancing the pro this process. The problem is that he might want to delay the process in order to allow Netanyahu, Benjamin Netanyahu, to try to replace this government by an alternative government uh, with a vote of no confidence. He can't delay it for, for, uh, for, too, uh, for too much. The coalition may try to pass this law. If Obach delays this law, the coalition might try to pass this law to the Constitution Committee, which is headed by uh, Gilad Kariv from the Labour Party, who will advance the proposal uh, quickly. Last uh, thing is that the law that will eventually be approved by the Knesset will set the date of the new elections. At the moment, we speak uh, probably on uh, uh, the end of uh, October after the Jewish holidays. So can, can I just ask as a, as a follow-up kind of the role that Nir Orbach plays, who is, we've known kind of has been this uh, rebellious figure within, uh, within Yamina, what, what are the tools that he can use to, uh, to hold up this process, to allow the opposition to try and form an alternative government? So in principle, He's in totally control of the uh, of the of the process. He can't delay this law for months, and it happens with other laws. <laughs> he can't just not discuss this law in the committee for months. Uh, theoretically, up to six months, but this is only theoretically because, as I said, the coalition uh, might try to uh, pass this law in such a situation to other committee, which is headed by a more loyal member of the coalition. And probably uh, petitions, uh, there will be also petitions to the High Court of Justice. And because so many Knesset members supported these laws in, in preliminary reading, the High Court of Justice might, uh, might force Orbach to discuss uh, this law. He can delay for, for one or two weeks at most, I think. 
Is there a precedent for moving it to a different uh, Knesset committee? Uh, not with other laws, the, uh, yes, but not with such a law. Usually the, the Knesset committee is controlled by the coalition. So if the coalition wants to dissolve uh, the Knesset, so, so the head of the, of the Knesset committee, the house committee, support it. Nir Orbach is a spe special case of someone theoretically from the coalition, but a dissident. So this is quite mm. a, a unique uh, circumstances. Okay, so if we, if we presume, and again, tell me if it's a fair presumption that eventually after a, a week or so, this will get returned to the Knesset and then they will disperse. What then, what then happens to, uh, in kind of, to, the, to the Knesset uh, after such a law is enacted? Well, first, this is, this is probably what's going to happen. Probably, but you know, never say never. Basically, mm. the, the, the Knesset and the government continue to function. Uh, normally, the Knesset until a new Knesset is elected and sworn, and the government until a new government is formed, which can take a very long time. It is quite possible that even after the, the election to the Knesset, a new government will not be formed, as happened twice in 2019. Now, the Knesset has no restrictions whatsoever and can pass laws as usual. For for example, uh, the law regarding the direct elections of the prime minister was passed in 1992 after the Knesset had already been dissolved. Uh, it will probably be, be quite difficult to form a majority in the Knesset in order to pass laws because neither the coalition nor the opposition enjoys such a majority, but it is possible. As for the government, it too continues to function as usual. I want to even emphasize the fact that according to the law, basically the government, uh, the, the, the law recognizes the need to avoid a government vacuum. But, but the Supreme Court and the Attorney General do put some restrictions on a government during an election period, mainly related to restrictions on, on senior appointments in the civil service and, uh, and the, on what is called electoral or elections economy. Uh, I mean the transfer of budgets and even the promises to transfer money out of a danger that this will be some kind of bribery to the voters. One interesting example regarding appointments made by the government is the chief of staff, right. a new chief of staff should be appointed now. But since this is an appointment made by the government, the attorney general would that at the moment it is impossible for the government to appoint a new chief of staff. But Benny Gantz, the minister of security, the minister of defense, tries to change this legal position. Are there other appointments or other kind of... Uh, um processes which were underway which are now going to be uh, prevented uh, as a as a result of the, uh, the dispersal no, no, this is the most uh, notable uh, one but, uh, sure uh, <laughs> at every moment uh, many senior appointments should be made but the chief of staff is 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 uh, maybe one of the senior appointments uh, in israel so this is highly important Right. I mean, I've heard the arguments made by uh, by Benny Gantz and his team that uh, that not only as a result of delaying the, the appointment of the chief of staff, a whole slew of kind of um, officers down the down the ranks will also not get their promotion, and therefore sure. we argue that it's sure. uh, the, the, it is it's against the functioning of the army. Yeah, sure. The general who is going to replace Benny Gantz, someone should replace him, and so right. on. So it relates many, many, many senior officers. This is true. But again, it, it, uh, we should ask ourselves, uh, or the main question is whether a new government will be formed in 
I don't know, a few months. If this is the case, so we can wait a few months. But there is a real possibility that no government will be formed, you know, for one or two years. In such a case, I think also the attorney general should, should understand that the new chief of staff uh, must be appointed. Right. Um, what happens to the um, to, to pieces of, uh, of bills going through that have perhaps kind of passed a preliminary or a first or a first reading, and now the government collapses. Do they also uh, do they fall, or, or are they able to to continue a legislative process? So, as I said, the Knesset can uh, pass laws as, as usual. Uh, again, it will probably be difficult to to reach a majority, but but maybe but maybe not because there are laws that enjoy a, a consensus or a wide support among Knesset members. Uh, uh, um, Usually the discipline of the coalition and the opposition weakens in the period before the elections. So that so it might be uh, actually easier to obtain a, a cooperation of Knesset members from different parties in support of certain laws. So, so it is certainly possible that the laws that enjoy white support will be passed, will be approved before the elections. Um, one of the one of the more contentious issues that which is perhaps responsible for the timing of the fall of the government was this uh, this renewal of legislation over uh, um, extending some aspects of civil law into the West Bank. Um, can you just explain what happens now in, in, in the context of the of the government collapsing, whether that uh, whether that remains an issue or if it gets uh, um, extended? Yeah, so this is very interesting. This is an interesting point. According to the law, once the Knesset is dissolved, laws that are supposed to expire, their uh, validity is extended up to three months after the elections of the new, the election of the new Knesset. So, as you said, one of the reasons for the dissolution of the Knesset was the debate within, or is the debate within the coalition over the extension of, of various regulations relating to Israel's control over parts of the West Bank regarding, for example, the status of the Jewish settlers there. So the regulations are supposed to expire at the end of this month, at the end of June. If the Knesset is dissolved earlier, these regulations will be automatically extended. This was one of the reasons Bennett gave for his support in the dissolution of the Knesset. If the Knesset is dissolved later, for example, in July, the Knesset must actively extend these regulations. So this is the, the, the crucial question. When is the Knesset dissolved? Before they are expired or after? Mm, that we'll have to wait and wait and see. And what do you, what do you make of this new, um, well, the, the return to the agenda of the idea of, uh, of passing legislation to ban someone under criminal indictment from forming a government? What are the chances of the, uh, of the success? I think that even supporters of this law within the government now admit that it will be almost impossible to pay to pass it. Basically, it got stuck for a long time because of a veto of Yamina and Bennett, who opposes uh, which opposes this law. Bennett removed the veto a few days ago, uh, but, but also stated that he would personally vote against this law. And in fact, I think that most, if not all, of, of uh, Knesset members from Yemina uh, oppose this law. So it is not certain at all that this law has a majority in the Knesset. Uh, in addition, I, I must say that it is clear that it is problematic to pass uh, such a law on such a stage of the Knesset. The, the law is, in the first place, a quite personal, personalistic law in the sense that it is directed against a particular politician, Benjamin Netanyahu. 
but to pass such a law quickly at the end of the Knesset days, only because soon uh, the president might uh, give the task of forming the new government to Netanyahu, this is really problematic. There might be Knesset members who basically support this law, but will not support this law because of this reason. And there will be petitions to the High Court of Justice on this uh, background. So. There are chances that this law will pass, but but uh, I think that probably not. Now, uh, personally, I, first I must say that this is not my field of research. The legal experts at the uh, Israel Democracy Institute support this law, and I, I certainly agree that at the end of Netanyahu's uh, terms as prime minister, we saw that the prime minister on trial has a significant uh, conflict of interest. For example, mm. when it comes to his uh, responsibility for the law enforcement system. This is on the one hand. On the other hand, as a researcher of comparative politics, I would like to point out that similar laws do not exist in other democracies. Also, and this is very important, since there is no constitution in Israel, it, it is quite easy to abolish a law that bans someone from uh, forming a government. Such a law will be part of basic law, the government, which can be amended very easily with the support of 61 Knesset members. It means that if Netanyahu's bloc wins a majority in the upcoming elections, the first thing it will do is to change the law right. so that Netanyahu can form a government. So what is the point, I ask myself? Hmm. Um, if I can focus now on an area which is your is your expertise, um, and it's kind of a quite a, a, a large question, but uh, given the, um, the, 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 la the lack of governability that we've seen over the last three and a half years, what are your recommendations for electoral reform? Okay, so basically we, we have a variety of recommendations for electoral reforms. But if we talk about the current situation, that is the problem of chronic instability of the Knesset, the, the, fact, the fact that the, the last Knesset that served a full term of four years was uh, elected in 1984 until 1988. So there is a chronic problem of instability of the Knesset. So I think that we should focus on a specific type of, uh, type of solutions. Um, the political instability for sure uh, also stems from a specific political and uh, personal circumstance, circumstances, but it is also related to the rules of the political game. In short, in Israel, there are too many ways to dissolve the Knesset, much more than in any, any other developed democracy. I'm also referring to the issue of the budget. Israel is the only country in the uh, is the only country uh, in which uh, failure to approve the state budget budget in the parliament automatically leads to the dissolution of the parliament. This. Although this happens only once in uh, the Netanyahu and Gantz uh, previous government, I think that the danger that the budget will not be approved uh, has contributed in other cases to the dissolution of the Knesset. So this is for sure a mechanism that ultimately encourage, encourages instability. The same and even more so applies to the law on the, of the dissolution of the Knesset. As Israelis, it seems uh, very natural to us that the Knesset can pass such a law. But it, it is interesting to know that this is not the case in other democracies. It is possible in Austria. It is also possible in the UK, but now with the support of two thirds of the members of the, of the House of Commons. And, uh, but, but that's it. In other democracies, such a law can't be passed. 
this mechanism is not exist. So, so this is rather a quiet mechanism. And this is, of course, the most common mechanism in Israel. Out of seven Knesset uh, uh, that were dissolved in 13 cases, it was through such a law. And this is probably what is going to happen now. So one of the recommendations can be to make it much more difficult to dissolve the Knesset. For example, it is possible to eliminate the connection between the passage of the state budget and early elections. And it can also be determined that in order to pass a law dissolving the Knesset, a majority of 70 or even 80 Knesset members will be required. Uh, so, so in such a case, no single Knesset member or small party within the coalition will have the opportunity to blackmail the coalition and to harm its stability. On the other hand, uh, if the Knesset and the government are truly dysfunctional, probably uh, it will be possible to mobilize such a majority of 70 or 80 Knesset members to dissolve it. Or maybe the prime minister himself will dissolve the Knesset. He has the authority to do so with the agreement of the president. Or maybe the, the government will be replaced by a different uh, government with a vote of no confidence. But, but the default will be, unlike the current situation, that the Knesset is will serve for a full term of four years. And, and what's your sense of kind of of the uh, of, of the public appetite for for electoral reform? How much do you see this as a as a kind of as a as an issue which galvanizes uh, regular Israelis? The truth is maybe surprisingly that these are the, the reforms that I just introduced are quite uh, new reforms. From for some reason. The basic assumption among politicians and the public and the media and even academics was that the law uh, for dissolving the Knesset is, is something almost natural to democracies that cannot be changed. So the proposals so far uh, focus on issues like the electoral threshold or forming uh, the, the way of uh, forming a government. But, but I think that lately more and more voices have been heard calling for a change in the way the Knesset is dissolved. Uh, there is, for example, a bill proposal by uh, Eli Cohen, a Knesset member from the Likud, which also calls for making it difficult to dissolve the Knesset, although I think that uh, only in the first year of, of uh, the Knesset term. But, but in general, you hear more and more voices uh, in the political system that support it. Will this lead to an actual reform? <laughs> it's very difficult uh, to tell. There, there are certainly veto, veto players who will oppose uh, such reform, especially small parties that feel that it will reduce their uh, bargaining power vis-a-vis uh, uh, -vis the ruling parties or the government. But I think that this is a proposal, proposal that most parties can support, mainly because it does not have a direct impact on the Knesset elections and on the chances of different parties to get elected to the Knesset. Uh, it is possible, and I hope that in the next coalition negotiations, uh, this will be a good opportunity to advance various political reforms, like this reform that I introduced. Although it should be remembered that even if the reforms are part of the coalition agreements and of the government uh, guidelines, it does not guarantee anything. The guidelines of the current government, for example, explicitly state that the government will promote a more personal and more and the more uh, regional territorial electoral system and nothing in, has happened with it. At the end, at the end, we need to find a determined and powerful political actor to advance uh, this issue and we are uh, working on it right now. 
it's interesting. I was about to ask you about that kind of creative solutions to kind of to, to make a big uh, a big change about kind of the as you said about the idea of moving to kind of geographical constituencies like we're familiar with the UK of kind of having a di direct connection between the electorate and a uh, and a and a constituency um, a representative in in Parliament. I mean, how how realistic uh, do you think this is in, in the uh, in the longer term? To be introduced first, in Israel. Yeah, not exactly like in the UK. Well, you probably know, all the listeners know that the Israeli electoral system is quite unique in comparative perspective since it has no personal element and no territorial element. A, a components that really help to establish a more close connection, as you said, between voters and the representatives. Regarding electoral districts, now, the current situation is that actually all of Israel is one large electoral district in which only mm. 120 members of the Knesset uh, are elected and very few other democracies has a similar electoral system. We propose to adopt a, a electoral districts which be a multi-member electoral districts, not like in the UK, but like most other West European democracies. That is, more than one candidate is elected to the parliament from each district. For example, which can uh, we can divide the Israel, this is just an example, yes? We can divide mm. Israel into 12 electoral districts, like the 12 tribes of Israel. From each electoral district, in average, uh, 10 candidates will be elected to the Knesset, but it will be based on the size of the population in, uh, in each district. Uh, such a reform, I think, will increase representation of different areas, especially the representation of the periphery, uh, whose interests are usually underrepresented in the political system, also in Israel. It will increase, of course, the responsiveness of the voters to the public. And, and again, this is very, very common electoral system from a comparative perspective. So yes, I, I, we try to, to invest, to advance this idea. And we have the support of many politicians just before the recent elections, Gidon Saar and Ifat Shasha Biton uh, uh, introduced a bill to move to quite similar uh, uh, electoral system. But, but again, nothing happened with it. Although it was, uh, it, it appeared in the official guidelines of the current government. I mean, yeah. Another question, I mean, do you think that uh, 120 MKs is enough? I mean, it was established, obviously, when Israel's population was 10 times smaller um, in terms of proportion of uh, population to, uh, to, uh, to parliamentarians in 1948. Is that a, is that, is that a problem? How does Israel compare comparatively around the world? Oh, I think that you are right. There are not enough Knesset members in Israel. As you know, that the number of Knesset members has not changed since the establishment of, of Israel, despite the fact that the population has increased almost, what, 20, almost 20 uh, times, from uh, less than 1 million to almost 10 million, yes. But also from a comparative uh, perspective, the Knesset is a small parliament. Uh, we, there is a generally expect, uh, accepted formula in political science that says what should be the size of the parliament based on the size of the population. And according to this formula, there should be, how, ma how many uh, Knesset members do you think? 
I don't know. <laughs> 210 <laughs> Knesset members. Wow, okay. This is this is according to the to the common formula in political science. And it should also be remembered that unlike other democracies, Israel does not have two chambers like the UK, a House of Commons and a House of uh, Laws, Lords, and also no regional parliaments like in the US and Spain and Switzerland and so many other uh, uh, countries. So so the the workload placed on Knesset members is, is particularly uh, particularly large. And this is reflected in practice when the majority of Knesset members are members of at least three Knesset committees, sometimes four, five, six, and seven Knesset committees. Obviously, it is impossible for a Knesset member to focus on the work of each committee if he or she uh, are members of many committees. A member of the Knesset, like members of other parliaments, should be members of one, maybe two committees in order to focus on the work of these committees. So yes, I think that, that we must increase the Knesset, say to 180, and even then with 180 Knesset members, it will be a small parliament in, in a comparative perspective. But But, Unfortunately, this is not a popular uh, topic or a popular reform because of the low public image of the Knesset and the parties. Politicians are afraid to express support for this idea. They are afraid from a public and media criticism and, and for sure I can understand them. But, but Although recently, for example, there is a change, I think. Tzvi uh, Hauser, MK Tzvi Hauser of New Hope has uh, publicly expressed support for it. He published uh, an article in, in some uh, newspaper uh, in Israel. And uh, uh, also in closed conversation uh, uh, with, with politicians, I think most of them understand the need in a larger parliament, Knesset. But again, this is unpopular uh, reform so far, unfortunately. Fair enough. Okay, uh, Dr. Asaf Shapira, thank you so much for joining us today um, and uh, enlightening us. Um, we may call on you again before the uh, before the election, if that's okay. Sure, sure. I'd be glad. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. Thank you. Bye.